Lord, we just come before you and we ask you to, to bless this time as we look at your word and help us to see what it is you'd want us to see from this. And, and Lord, for if anybody's on their way, we ask you to bring them quickly and bless those who aren't here today. And, and just lead and guide in your son's precious name. Amen. Ezra chapter 9. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken their daughters for themselves and, to, and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. And they were assembled unto me. Every one of them trembled at the words of the Lord God of Israel. Because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. So we're going to look at this and, and, and kind of examine a little bit. It starts out in verse 1 that it says the, the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites have not separated themselves from the people doing, a, 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 doing according to the abominations even, the, even of all those different nations that we're not going to read again. So we want to look at this and he's talking about mixed marriages at this time and just a quick overview of these marriages in Genesis 24.3. Abraham sent his servant away to get a wife for Isaac. And he says, don't have him marry one of these women of Canaan. Go back home and find somebody who worships God and bring, bring her back. And the servant went and brought back Isaac's wife. And, and they were able to have a marriage that had the same God being worshipped. And in Genesis 28.1, his... Jacob is sent away to not marry somebody of Canaan and go back home and marry somebody of, of his own family and, and worshiping God. And so we see this process going on of not mixing God's religion with other religions. And this is happening, this happens all the time in our world today, where people are saying, well, I'll just get married to whoever. And... The only truly mixed marriage, and Ken Ham talks about this in his little series that we watched, the only truly mixed marriage is a non-Christian marrying a Christian or a Christian marrying a non-Christian. Can you say that again? Huh? Would you say that again? The only mixed marriage is a Christian marrying a non-Christian. Right. Because everybody else is human race. I mean, a black and a white, or oriental and a black, or a black, uh, you know, white with an oriental. All of that is the same family, and that is not a mix. Now, there are problems with that only because of cultural differences, possibly. Right. No, there are. But, but there's not any biblical or any real reason not to. But to be married to a non, for a Christian to marry a non-Christian is a huge issue. Because there's always going to be problems with that. And this is what God has said for the Israelites as well. And we started with Isaac we, and Jacob both being sent back, you know, both having to get wives from the land of the, Chalde or the Chaldees and bring them in there because they worship the same God. In Deuteronomy 7 3, I'm going to actually read this one. In Deuteronomy 7.3 it says, 
For they will turn away your sons from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be can... Oh, let's go over three. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Your daughters shall not be given unto their sons, nor his daughter shall you take unto your sons. For they shall turn away your sons from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. And this was God saying, you are not to marry the people of the land of Canaan. The Canaanite, the Perizzites, the Zebusites, and all those other ites that are in that, in that section. And God very clearly understood that you will be taken down quicker than you will lift up. Now, are there an occasional person who, who lifts up the lost person? Yes, the, the odds are about one in a hundred. But you do get those testimonies. But it's not an odds that you want to be gambling your life and, your, and the life of your children on. And eternity, you know, your eternity is going to be okay because you can't fall, you can't be kicked out, but you're going to live without reward. You're going to live without the blessings of God. You're outside the covering. And this is important because it is so critical, and God says, don't do it. And this is, I've, I've counseled with people over the years who have said, well, I'm, I'm in love with this person. I think God's telling me to get married to them. Are they a Christian? No. No, God is not telling you. that. I, there are very few things that I can tell you that God is not doing, but if you tell me he's telling you to do something that's contrary to the Bible, I can tell you that God is not telling you to do it. You may be telling yourself that. You may be convincing yourself that the Spirit is telling you that. But if it's not, if it goes contrary to the Bible, it is not God speaking. It's all of those ites. We want, we want our ears tickled, and, and we want to hear what we want to hear. Mm -hmm. And we'll wrap it up in some kind of justification. That, mm -hmm. that God's telling me. Yeah. I've met plenty, plenty of people that say they're saved or Christian, and, and uh, once you get to know them, they're not. Well, well, you can't make that complete yeah. judgment, but yes, their life will usually tell you that they're not a Christian, and there are lots of people who aren't Christians who say they are. And, and you know what? And they look, believe they are. Look what happened, they even Mark. believe they are. Look what happened, Mark. Four or five weeks ago, there might have been a claim, I was never saved, but see, that was a lie from Satan. Yeah, well, you'll be revealed, I guess. Yeah. Well, discerning of spirits will come to you. And it is true that a lot of people say they're a Christian and they're not. And Jesus said himself, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they list all kinds of spiritual activities. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Yes. And we can convince ourselves that we're saved and not be. And we're going to know that we're saved when we're saved. We're going to know we're in a relationship with him. We're going to know that we have, that we know him. And there's not going to be a question of, am I saved or, you know, but these, there are these people who think they are. And America is good with it, is full of them because we have this gospel of just say this prayer and you're going to be saved. And I've said over and over, it's not just, those aren't magic words that are abracadabra, you're saved. There are, you've got to believe the words. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we see this in Numbers 25. This is just after the incident with Balaam, and I'm assuming everybody knows who Balaam is. Balaam was the one who was called by Balak to curse the Israelites, and, and on his way there, the, you know, when he talked to God three times, and God finally said, because you're so sure you're going to go, go. And then on his way, the angel's waiting to kill him, and the donkey runs off the directions, and then and it crushes his legs, and then he, then he beats the donkey, and the donkey asks him, well, what, what, why are you doing this to me? And he answers him, and then the angel says, you know, the donkey's saved your life because I'm standing here ready to kill you. I and 
then, then he says, okay, now you can go. Now that your heart is right and you're going to listen and say what I say, now you can go. And he blesses Israel three times. At the end of the blessing, when Balak now is mad at Balaam, because Balak paid him to curse the people, now he goes, you know, I, I have every right to take your life because you have not. Balaam says at that point, here is how you defeat the Israelites. You can get them to curse themselves. And he says, send your daughters in and marry them and have affairs with them and lead them into breed, idolatry. Breed it out of them. Basically, he says, you get, to, you get them not to follow what they've been told, to separate themselves. And then in verse, Numbers 25, verse 1, and, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This is the sin, it's called the sin of, of Balaam in the, in the New Testament, in Revelation, that he sent, that Balak sent his women in to go get them to be committing adultery so and, the women and as a distraction. That's a distraction a and a bait, you know, get, get them to follow. But this is what happened in this, and we see that sin that's covered all the through. This was the problem that Solomon had when he had his just just a thousand women at his disposal. You know, he he, he had a, he had a downfall for women, and he didn't just marry Israeli women. He he married women from just about every country that there was underneath his rule. And we know darn well it would have come down to, well, Solomon, you're going to your temple. Why don't you ever let me have a temple? My, my God is, you know, is so far away, I can't worship them. And then he built temples for them. And then, of course, the next part was, Solomon, why don't you come worship with me? You never come with me. And before you know it, he is worshiping at all these other temples and forgetting God the until power, the end of his life. The power of a female in his life. Well, it's, most of them don't realize the power that they have over men. Some do. At least I hope most of them don't realize the power that they have when they use it wrong. Well, you know, <laughs> darling, sometimes it's called survival. Called <laughs> oh, women's intuition. No, you don't go there. This is holy ground. They know women. And then in, in Joshua 23, there was the same same type of statement in verse 12. Else you will uh, take, start in 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourself that you love the Lord your God, else you will do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even that remnant among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and, and they like you. Know for certainly the Lord your God will no more drive you out of these nations be from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side. There's my confirmation snare about the women, the snare. Yeah. So we see this, this was some, you know, this topic that Ezra is facing. They came back out of Persia, out of Medo-Persia. They came back to Israel to start the nation up, to build the, build the temple. And then while they're there, they get married to the people of that land instead of being married to each other. And Ezra is going, the leaders, it says, this, it says the leaders were leading in this dis disobedience. The leadership, in, and this is something that's important, that we need good leaders. And if we don't have good leaders, we will go in the wrong direction. Yes. Yes. And marriage is that union that leads to an idolatry. 
And we see this often in families where, especially if fathers don't lead their families and go to church and be the, be the, take the lead in their, in, the, in their family to go to church, you will watch eventually the kids all, almost always fall away from the church. And because, especially the boys, because they'll, they'll, and this is unfortunate that, that males in the church are not leading in most churches. You might see a pastor up there, you might see a song leader, and there's a lot of churches where the Sunday school, you won't see a man teach any children. They may teach the adults and usually will teach adults, maybe teenagers if you're really lucky, but nobody, nobody down below ever sees a, sees, a, sees a man in there. So what are we telling our kids as they're raised up? Churches for women. Churches for women. And men need to stand up and say, I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead in God's house. I'm going to lead in my family. Yes, I'm going to be in charge. Not because they're better. Yes. Not because they're better, because God it's said they're in charge. It's his plan. <laughs> yep. And he puts it in charge. And there's a, in the military, there's this statement, at least in the Navy, that you may not like the man, but you had to respect the, man, the uniform. And married to a Marine. You know, so, yes. yeah, and that was my dad's comment. He goes, there were many officers that he couldn't stand, but because they had insignia on their shoulders that said they were in charge, you at least respected the position. And they were in charge because they were in charge. Yes. Not even because they were better. And they, if they were wise, they took the advice of the guys that had been around, for, you know, the, yes. the non-commissioned non officers that knew what was going on and put 20 years in compared to their one or two. And they took their advice. Not, not that they always did what they said, but they go, okay, yeah, I've, I've heard what you said, but this is what we're going to do. Right. The, the husband does this with his family. I hear what you're saying, but this is what I've chosen we're going to do, and we do it. The pastor in his church listens to other people in the church and says, okay, but this is where, you know, okay, I agree with you, or no, I don't agree with you. I think this is where God's going to take us. Right. And, then, and when you take that position, that person now becomes responsible for where, the, where you're going, and the rest of them are under that umbrella of protection. And this is why submission, people get upset about submission because it's always applied to the wife, to the husband, but it's, it's also the people to the pastor, the people to the country. Uh, but it makes an umbrella. It's yes. an umbrella of protection. As long as you stay under that umbrella of protection, the one who's in trouble is the leader. So, and you get blessed. But the minute you step out from underneath the umbrella of submission, all of a sudden you're saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm independent. I'm going to do what I want. And then you start saying, okay, well, then you can have all the, the hardships and pain and, and everything that's for being unsubmitted. And this is why each one of us, every one of us is, is to be submitted to somebody anyway. Everybody, even the, even the father is submitted to God if he's doing his job. The government is submitted to God. The pastor is submitted to God. Jesus, and specifically Jesus, but Jesus is submitted to the father. And there's submission all the way up. It's not saying they're better or worse. It's just they're the ones that God said, you're in charge. This is, they're in violation of so many different scriptures. We talked about the pictures, but in Exodus 33, 16, Leviticus 20, 26, and Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4, all three places that said, do not intermingle. God over and over said it. In, in the New Testament, we're told by Paul, do not be unequally yoked. And it's so amazing when you watch people who, who violate this or even they get saved and it ends up being violated in a, unintentionally, you get all kinds of problems. 
what is what is Christmas? What is Easter? What is what are these different holidays? Especially if you mix it with other religions. Bad enough just to marry an, an unsaved person who doesn't care about God. They'll they'll probably be okay with you practicing Christmas. But if you get a Christian and a Jew married together, you know, are you going to worship on Easter? Are you going to worship on Christmas? Are you going to worship the the seven the seven Jewish holidays plus Hanukkah and Passover uh, and all these different things that they worship? How do you raise your kids? Do you confuse them with all these different things? Or do you do nothing? Or do you nothing? Which is usually what ends up happening. Or, or do you say, well, we're just going to let the kids make up their mind when they get older. So we'll let the world teach them, you know, all the stuff the world wants to teach them. And then maybe we'll get them to become Christians sometime when they're, when they're older. This is why government so often wants to get our kids at a younger and younger and younger age into government schools so they can get us away from the parents that are teaching their kids righteousness and, and God's word, and then they can teach them what the world wants them to believe. Saying, the hand that rocks a cradle controls the world. That's a, that is a statement. Yes. This, was, this has been believed by every dictator. Give me the schools and I'll have the next generation. And this is what's happened in our country. In, in the 18, 1820s and 1830s, God got started to be pushed out of our public schools. Yeah. Okay, 1850s, evolution got pushed into our schools and really took God out of our schools. And it wasn't until the 1900s that we had prayer and the Bible and everything kicked out of our school. But he was well out, he was being well pushed out before that. All of this was God being lifted up. But it is, it is critical that we see God and where he's at. Because the more we kick out God out of our schools, the more we as parents have to get involved with our kids' education. Amen. And... I, I'm on record that, number one, I don't believe that any child should be going to public school, period. I think that every parent should be teaching them at home or every church that can, that can any way afford it should have a Christian school. And my goal and hope is that someday we will be able to have a Christian school here, even though we're so small. Uh, they've mingled themselves in verse 2 with the people of those lands, and the princes have been the chief. And, I, and this is Ezra's response to this. <laughs> Okay, now Ezra is, is, a, is a priest. Here, he's a priest. We're, we're, no, we're going into verse 3. It's Ezra's book. He's talking. Oh, Ezra. Oh, yeah. Ezra yeah, the priest. Yeah, Ezra. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Now, this is when you, and normally when they say they rent, when they tore their garments, they're really just talking about the outside garment. He's talking about, he's pulled his outside garment on he's down to his underwear at this point yes. you know what they wore is underwear Green. he is just so Green. saddened by their response yes. he's been away for remember he's been away for a while he went back to babylon to give a report for everything that was done to answer all these charges that that uh these guys were given against them to the to the, to the king and he had to go back and remember, we talked about this. Going back to Babylon was not a short trip. It took a month or more to get there. So he's gone there. He spends time reporting to the king. He spends time answering questions. He spends time building up support. He spends time trying to get more people to come back. And, he, and so he's gone for a little over a year from this point. And he comes back and he's finding out that the people aren't obeying God. And, you know, he's remembering not just that, but he's remembering back the whole reason they went into Babylon in the first place was because they disobeyed God. And he's going, you haven't learned anything. And he's sad and he's, and he's broken. 
he's broken for the people and he doesn't know what to do and he's and probably very fearful for the people God you're going to you're, are you going to send us back away again because of all of this and this is where you get when you really love people loving people hurts yes Loving people hurts because yeah. you want them to respond correctly. Yeah. And when they don't, you can't go up and beat them up and say, you've got to obey. You've got to say, God, I, you know, and it puts you into this terrible hurt feeling. And, you're, and you have to say, and then you love them even more and you pray more for them. And this is where Ezra is. This is showing how much he loves these people. He's not giving up, but he's astonished. And he says, I sat astonished or stunned and he was said he was stunned and he sat there until the evening sacrifice which would have been at sunset this is his attitude he's just he's just stunned by god how can they do this i don't understand this i've taught i we've been teaching them how to obey and here they are disobeying in one of the most critical areas because we see this it's so much easier for people to tear us down than for us to go up very rarely do people lift others upward when they're closely tied together. Verse 5, And at the evening sacrifice I arose from my heaviness, and having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands before the, unto the Lord my God. And I said, O Lord God, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God and our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses have grown up over unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, we have been a, been a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities, we have we, our kings, our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, and to spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And now, for a little space, grace has been showed upon, from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in, from our bondage. For we are we're bondmen, yet our God has not forsaken us in our bondage, but has extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our Lord our God and to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem." And now, O, God, o our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded but your servants by the prophets, saying, The land unto which you possess, it is unclean land, with filthiness of the people in the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from end to another with their uncleanness. I'm going to stop there because there's quite a bit. He's starting to give the history. He's repeating back to God and in front of the people the history of the people. Right now he's saying, God, we're, I'm confessing, but I think he's purposely doing it in front of the people to, to get them convicted of what yeah. they've done. He's, he's being a leader saying, God, we are, because he's part of his people. Right. Daniel did the same thing when he said, God, we have greatly sinned, even though he's been as perfect and upright as he can be, but he's as a leader saying, God, I'm going to identify with my people. Moses did the same thing with the people. God, we are this and don't send me without them. And so Ezra's here and he's going, he fell on his face before God. He fell on his face before God. Ezra is falling down and, and he's praying before God and his prayer is, oh Lord, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to you. you know, he's not the one that's been guilty, but he so cares for the people that he's been in charge of that he says, God, I don't even want to look at you because of this. 
And there may have been some idea where he's saying they just haven't listened to God, maybe, maybe even feeling he hasn't done enough to teach and, and, and lead. But he's saying, God, I am in this position, for our iniquities have increased over our head, and the trespass has grown up unto the heavens. He says it's getting bigger. And we've all probably been there ourselves where our trespasses seem to be piling up upon us, but we've also seen others that you don't stay in one place. It's been said you're either growing with God or you're going backwards, and those who don't know God are always going backwards. Even if they take a couple steps forward trying to do good, they end up going back eight or nine steps, probably the sanctuary. He says it's growing, they're getting bigger. Since the days of our fathers, we have been in great trespass, and our iniquities, our kings and our people have been delivered into the hands of, other king, of, of the kings of the lands, the sword, to captivity, to spoil, to confusion of face. So he's saying, God, even this has been our history. And he's saying the same thing Moses said. God, these are stiff-necked people. They, they keep getting into trouble. And now we're saying the same thing. God, they, they are, this people just keep sinning. They keep getting worse and worse. Here. And you in the past have delivered them to other kings. You made them captives. You've killed them by the sword. You've made them captives. You made them a spoil, a confusion of face, which means shame. Yeah. You know, you've made them shameful toward you, and we should have shame. But yeah. not, he's not saying the shame is good, but he's saying that the result has been shame as of this day. And then he goes, and now for a little space, a little moment in time, Grace has been shown unto us. You'd sent us into captivity and then you showed grace. People who don't believe that the Old Testament is full of God's grace have never read the Old Testament completely. Yes, God shows wrath. Yes, he shows anger. But he shows so much grace and mercy. He always, always keeps a remnant of people. There's always a remnant. When Elijah said, God, everybody has gone to Baal, God says, no, there's a remnant. There, there's 30,000 who have not bent their knees. When everybody else says, God, I'm all alone, God says, no, you're not. There's others. There's always others. And we like to get in this pity party, God, I'm the only one serving you in this whole thing, and nobody else is doing it for, for you, God. And God's saying, no, there's others. I've got others that are ready to step in. Just wait. Just, they're coming. They're coming. They're, they're going to be here. Here you are, brother. When, when it's the right time, they'll be here. When it's the right time, they will show up. In the tribulation period, God is going to have 144,000 Jewish believers step forward and say, we're going to show you God. And this is after the rapture. This is after things are going. And he, bring, and he brings forth a remnant of people to serve him. There will be a remnant of people who make it all the way through the tribulation period to the, to the millennial kingdom to, reign, to be ruled for a thousand years in a perfect environment and still fail. And... Here we are, he's saying, God, you've given us for a short period, you gave us this mercy. God, you've shown us grace. Help us to live in this. And basically, this is what he's saying. Help us to, to not be sent back into captivity, God. You've put us here. You've brought the remnant back. You've given us grace. Help us. And this is where we were talking earlier on. There are many people who name the name of Christ who aren't Christians. There are many churches that aren't truly Christian churches even though they have the name Christian church on them because they don't teach the Word of God. They don't preach. They don't lift up Christ. They're lifting up whatever it is they lift up. The key for us is to know that God loves us. He cares about us. It's His grace. And most important for everything for us to always understand, everything that counts is from God. 
If I do anything in my own flesh, it may be good, but if it's in my flesh, it is not worth anything in the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that if I do something in my flesh, others may not get blessed and, and be touched and be raised for the kingdom, but I do not get the blessing because it's my flesh doing it. And God says, right. my flesh will not stand before him. Right. And how easy that line can be blurred. Oh, very easy. Because you're, you're already in, in some kind of a process or involvement or commitment. And um, it, it's so important to stay on your face and ask, you know, the Lord for direction because... I was in the flesh. How often do we as pastors do something because, number one, we're paid to do it? Every Sunday morning, whether I'm in the Spirit or not, I've got to stand up there and give a message because that's what I'm paid to do. I am paid as little as I am paid to do that, but some of these pastors who get paid a lot, they're in that same boat even more than I am where they're being paid to stand up every Sunday morning, whether they feel like it, whether, they've, whether they have it in them, and they've got to preach and so much of what we do may just be in the flesh because we feel we have to do it. A volunteer Sunday school teacher every week, you've got to be there to teach the Sunday school class. Whether you're in the spirit or not, you're to teach the class because they're expecting you to teach. And so he says, you showed us mercy to give us a remnant to escape. I'm a remnant. A remnant. And then he goes, to give us a nail in this holy place. And that literally means a peg, a peg, as a mark. And I've said this over and over, God expects us to have markers in our life that says this is what he's done so that when things get really bad, we go back and we look and say, this is what he did. I know that I'm with him. I know that I'm doing what he wants because of this in my life and this in my life and this in my life. The Israelites were told so many times, grab up stones, make a pillar. And what was the purpose of that pillar? He said that when people say, what is the purpose? What is this pillar there for? You'd say, this is what God did. This is how he blessed us. This is what he did. And we train up the children by showing them what God has done. And he, so he goes on to say that God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Man. When we're in the middle of our bondage, he will give us life. Yes. He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that gives us hope. So that when we are all broken and we just see nothing but trials, he comes in and he says, here's life. Here's your, here's your growth. Here's your, here's, I want you to go forward. For we were bondmen, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. He did not forsake us in the bondage. Verse 9, for we were, yet, we were bondmen, yet our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. And my favorite word on sentence is but. <laughs> but has extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia. They were captives. They were, they were servants for all practical purposes. And God put mercy in their heart. And they were able to be sent back to build. And if you remember, they were sent back, not only just sent back, but they paid money into the treasury to build the temple. They gave money to, to make sacrifices to God, the kings of Persia. Oh, okay. They, they gave them money to be able to help build this thing. So the temple and the sacrificial system was reestablished by the kings of Persia, and they even gave great sums of money to help them. That's mercy. <laughs> All right, so he sets up the house of the God to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem to build the wall of Jerusalem, mm -hmm. to reestablish the country, to reestablish the temple. And here they are, the wasteland, the desolation that God made Israel. He made it desolate. 
And amazingly, we see that also in our own time where Israel is sent back to a desolate country, a desert, and they make it a blooming garden that is feeding all of Europe from that little tiny country of Israel that God, is, that God has blessed and brought back. And then it says, And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. God, you've shown us mercy. You've reestablished us. And we are being disobedient. And at this point, Ezra is very concerned that God's going to put them back into slavery because of their disobedience. Because God will only go so long in, in battling with people. He, will, he sent the Israelites out of their land into the, back into captivity. And he's even said to the place, and what we fear most in any church is for God to say, upon the front of the door, Ichabod, the glory of God has yes. departed. Yes. And there are many yes. churches in this world, in this country, that have oh, Ichabod. God is not in that place right. at all because of how much they have rejected him. Yes. And you know it. You know it if you go into one of those churches and there's yes. no spirit whatsoever. Yes. Not saying that nobody in there has God, but the Spirit of God yes. has been... And it's been said that you know in the early church, if the Holy Spirit was taken out, the whole church would fall apart and only about 10% would continue. Now it's the other way around. Most churches, if God departed, they would not even know He's departed because they've got programs for everything. And they never knew Him to begin with. They didn't know Him to begin with. And this is what... With no it, judgment. With no this judgment. is what Ezra is saying. God, I'm worried. I don't want this to happen. Verse 11, Which you have commanded by your servants the prophets... And we're now going to go into a little history lesson. The land into which you go to possess it, it is an unclean land with filthiness of the people in the lands. And there are abominations which have filled it from end to end, from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now, therefore, give not your daughters unto, your, unto their sons, neither take your daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace, nor their wealth forever for ye... For you may be strong and eat the, the good of the land. Leave it for an inheritance of your children forever. And after all that is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespasses, seeing that you, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a deliverance. Very powerful. So he's saying here, we, their land was filthy and is filthy. And we talked about that in our numbers class in Leviticus and Exodus. In those lands, sexual sins had no, no words for them. Anything went with those people. And God's saying, you've had 400 years for them to repent. They've not repented. I'm sending my people in to take this land and to cleanse it and to kill everything that has anything to do with that filthiness. Because even the animals had been defiled in that country, bestiality and all the other diseases that were brought about by the sexual diseases. And God's saying, get them out. And he says, they're, they're polluted. And God is saying, don't give your sons and daughters unto those people. Don't go after their wealth. Don't go after anything of their land so that it will be yours. And, don't, and then he says, I love this in verse 13, for God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. And that's true even today. God punishes us less than we deserve. 
because he's trying to teach. He's trying to bring us back. God's mercy looks for the good to be rewarded in us. He's not looking for what he can do to punish us. He's looking for what good he can draw out of us and be able to, to bring us back. And in verse 14, should we again break your commandments and join in the affinity of this people in their abominations? Would not you be angry with us till you have consumed us? so that they were no remnant nor escape. And Jesus were saying, man, if we go back again, God, can you forgive us again, or are you going to destroy us this time? And but he has, in this case, he didn't understand. God wants to find the good. He wants to find the good and reward the good. He wants to see even the little tiny speck. It's like the prospector taking the, the pan and swishing it around, looking for the little, the little tiny gold flakes. He's not looking for the mud that he can find. He's looking for the tiny specks of gold that's in that mud so that he can collect the good from that dust. That's God sifting us, trying to find the good, the gems, the good that's in us that he can reward. He's not looking to punish us. He's looking to reward us. And this is what he's going to do when we stand before him at the Bema Seat and all the bad, all the flesh is burnt away and all the good is, he's looking for those nuggets of gold that he can reward, not for all the stuff that he can destroy. He's looking for the good. He's looking for how can I bless these, how can I bless my children? How can I do good to my children? And then it says in the last verse, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we remain yet escaped. Is it is it in this day, behold, we are before you in our tresses. We cannot stand before you because of this. And this is God, Ezra coming before God and saying, God, you are, you are the one we want to honor. You are the one we want to care for. We are, you are the one we want to seek. And we're just, we thank him for that. And we're going to close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to hear your word. Lord, help us to always seek you realizing that you always have a remnant. Lord, realizing that you are good, that you want to reward good, that you want to find what's good in us and, and eliminate what's bad. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.